Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. One of the simplest explanations of the gospel is found in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Basically, that's all you need to know of the gospel message to pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. As the old adage goes, life is short, death is sure, sin the cause, Christ the cure. Well, it's all here in this verse. Death is the sentence passed on every one of us. But why is this? It's because of sin. We were all born that way, and we all practice sin on a regular basis. We are sinners by birth and sinners by practice. And death, both physical and spiritual, is the horrible consequence of this separation from God because of iniquity and rebellion. It's a Bible truth that's easy to see. Just look around. But what's the answer? What's the cure? Well, it's Christ. Only he who had no sin of his own could pay the price for sin. No one else could. So what is the gift of God? Well, the verse says it's eternal life. This is not only a life that never ends, but a life that reflects the very life of God himself. A life that equips us to live forever in his presence. A life that we can enjoy here and now long before we get to heaven. But a gift needs to be received, doesn't it? Have you received it yet? In today's broadcast, evangelist Mr. Eugene Higgins examines the simple truths found in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, and other Bible verses relating to this gift of God, truths that are easy enough even for the very young to grasp. We hope that you will listen attentively as these beautiful verses are expounded upon in this message today. Psalm 49, please, for our first reading. And verse 7. None can by any means, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. Now, the redemption is not ceasing forever. That's not the idea there. It's actually the idea that we are so helpless that when it comes to the redemption of our souls, the cost is so great that we must keep our hands off. It is something that we cannot do. Some have translated it, the redemption of the soul is precious and it must be left alone. It is not something to which we can put our hands. Now in the New Testament for our final readings, Romans chapter 6 and the last verse in the chapter, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. One more reading, this time in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable, his indescribable gift. Every religion that I have ever heard anything about, every religion that 
we have ever invented, every religion that ever proclaims its message demands something from you, something from you, in order to obtain whatever the desired blessing is. Christianity is offering you salvation as a gift. Now, I think everybody likes free. You don't believe me? Just go into Costco around lunchtime and walk past all those sample tables. I think some people, that's how they have their lunch. They just visit the different tables and they do a few you know, laps and that's it. They've had, they've had their lunch. But buy one, get one free has that magic word in it. Buy one, get one free sounds so much better than saying half price if you buy two. Because free, everybody loves free. Well, the greatest thing in the entire universe of God is being offered to you tonight freely, freely. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the background to this is something that is very, very sobering and not a little bit humiliating. And it is this, that when it comes to our earning heaven or doing something to, to merit going to heaven when we die, we are spiritual paupers. We are destitute. We are bankrupt. We have no ability to pay or give or sacrifice or say or promise or do or accomplish anything that could procure salvation, eternal life for us. And that is why I read to you from Psalm 49, none can by any means redeem his brother or give to God the ransom. And of course, the Bible tells us why that is the case, why you and I are helpless to save ourselves. And it is that we are sinners. When you listen to what the Bible has to say about sin, then you realize how outrageous it is. We tend to belittle it, to minimize it. We have a plethora of excuses. Sure, I did that, but everybody does it. Or you don't know why I had to do that. Or, or we have a great ability to justify everything we do. But when you stop and listen to God, you realize how outrageous sin is. That it is not against a mere mortal, but it is against the throne of the universe, the great Jehovah, the God of eternity. We have sinned against him. First John chapter 3 and verse 4 describes the nature of sin. It says, whoever commits sin, commits lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So that when I do something that is wrong, I am breaking God's law. There are no exceptions. Every person who sins breaks God's law. And of course, then think of how impious it is that our debt is not in currency. It's not that, that we owe God money and if we had just come up with sufficient funds, somehow we would be able to pay this debt. Our debt is a debt of sin, of iniquity. We have sinned against that law, against that God, against that government. And we have no ability to remove those sins. Think of how enormous it is. Because what, what sinner can compute the number of his sins? Who, who of us, start right up here, who of us has ever really grasped how horrific sin is? You can't ask a drunken man to explain to you how, what it's like to be drunk and what it's like to lose control. You can't ask a sleeping man to describe to you what it's like to be awake. And you can't ask a sinner to be able to grasp how terrible it is to be a sinner because we're immersed in it. Everybody we know is a sinner. Everybody we have ever known is a sinner. Everyone we will ever know is a sinner. And every day of our life, we are sinners so that we fail to understand how enormous, how, how terrible our sins are. Sometimes people 
I think they imagine their sins are like parking tickets. You know, if you if you get too many, then the cops will track you down. They may even put a boot on your car. Then you'll get in trouble. But just 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 a few tickets. That's not really a big issue. But but sin is not like that. Sin is like a virulent cancer that is growing and spreading and 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 killing you. And only major surgery by the gospel can save your life. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus was nailed to the cross that he uttered those remarkable words? I've never seen crucifixion. I hope no one here ever sees crucifixion. But I I know that when somebody has grabbed somebody else and a quaternion of Roman soldiers, those legionaries have pushed you down on a rough cross, and somebody's held your hand down and has hammered a nail through your hands and brought your feet together and then pounded a nail through your feet, I know that there would be countless times crosses would be lifted up and the first words that would come from the lips of men on a cross would be to curse the men that put them there. So what a difference this was. They lifted up the cross and the Lord Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Were they ignorant of their wrongdoing? No, no. No, Judas knew he had betrayed the innocent blood. The chief priests knew this was the heir and they wanted to kill him to get rid of him. No, they weren't ignorant of what they were doing. They were ignorant of the enormity of what they were doing. They were ignorant of how tremendous was their crime, how horrific was their sin. And that's exactly where we come in. We have never really grasped. No one, no one has ever really understood how terrible his or her sins are. No one, no one has ever exaggerated his or her sinfulness in the presence of God. However sinful you think you are, you and I have never begun to scratch the surface and how grievous it is that our debt is of such a nature that we cannot lessen it, that we cannot somehow minimize it, that we keep adding to it every day we live. We are paupers spiritually. So then please, that's the background for the fact that there is a present, a gift that God is offering to you tonight. The gift of God is eternal life. So the giver is God. Rather than his being a demanding God who wants you to give something to him, God is a God who is marked by generosity and grace and beneficence. And he gives. He gave us a planet to live on. Think of the world. Psalm 115 says that the heaven, even the heavens belong to the Lord. But the earth has he given to the children of men. He's an all-wise creator. An all-wise creator who foresaw exactly the kind of world that would be required for human life to live and thrive. God gave us the planet. But of course, far more than that. Think of the provision he made in the giving of his beloved son. He gave us a planet. He stocked that planet. Did you ever think of the kindness of God? You know, there are things like um, like taste, the variety of tastes to food, color. Those are all extras. We could all live in a monochromatic world. We could live, you know, if you're old enough to have used a, a computer back when the color laptops or color screens were very, very expensive, then you know what it was like to boot up your computer and look at a black and white screen. Well, we could have lived in a black and white world. Why did God create color? Why did he give us the ability to enjoy food, taste? Why did he put into our heart the capability to appreciate and value relationships with other people? All of that were like bonuses, you see, that God was enriching us. And he gave us the planet and he gave us all we needed to live here. But he gave his son to meet your deepest needs for eternity. And since the Lord Jesus put it in his own inimitable way, let me give you his words 
It was because God so loved the world. That's why the word for is at the beginning. It was because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, the largest gift ever given was on a a rugged cross. The stipes and the patibulum had been brought together, and a carpenter from Nazareth was stretched out on that tree. And the dull blows of the hammer swung low were echoing around Skull Hill that unforgettable day when the Creator was giving his life so that you could be saved, so that you could have eternal life. God is the giver. He gave his son. Christ gave his life. Not only that, but God has given us his word. How would I even know that the Lord Jesus died for me if it wasn't that God inspired this book to be written? And you have it in your own mother tongue, in your own language, where you can read it. I hope you've looked to see what God has to say to you. I hope you haven't let a letter from your creator go unread. Because he not only gave his son to die for you, but he gave his word so that you could find out the value of that. And because of what sin has done to you and me, we would never naturally have an interest in this. We have a natural tendency toward things that that are exciting. We have a natural tendency toward things that are sinful. We have a natural tendency toward things that are that to us seem monetarily beneficial that will put money in my pocket. We have a natural tendency toward things that we want to do, we like, and we do not have a natural tendency toward seeking God. So into this world God sent the third person of that holy trinity, his spirit, and the spirit of God. I'm so glad, see. I'm so glad that the results of the meeting tonight are not in my hands. It's not all up to me about how well I preach and how finally I communicate the message that God the Spirit wants to speak to you tonight, wants to deal with you, wants to bring you to the Lord Jesus. Think about the matchless gift he gives. The gift of God is eternal life. See, eternal life is the life that is required in order to enter, exist in, and enjoy heaven. If you didn't have eternal life, heaven would be a place of unimaginable torment. If you didn't have eternal life, heaven would be worse than hell. To be in the presence of a God against whom you have sinned and to not have the life that you need to live in his presence, it would be a horror. It would be torment. But God is offering to you tonight a matchless gift. The gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now you know the Greek word is the free, the free gift. And that will sound redundant. You'll say, well, a gift is free, mister. Don't treat us like fools. But but the way words are played with today, there's some things you need to stress that you never needed to, right? This gift is free. I saw an ad once for a bank, and it said, fee, free, hyphenated word, fee, free, no fees, fee, free, checking, order at a low monthly rate. Fee, free, checking, all at a low monthly rate. Those two things don't go together. Free? The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God is offering you the gift of eternal life tonight. Why would you walk away from that when the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord? If If I told you that you could buy for $100, you could buy your son, your daughter, a place in heaven. Would you pay it? $100. That's all it would cost. And your son or daughter would be in heaven. Would you buy the ticket? He said, of course I would. 
If I told you that you could be sure you would never be in hell if you just paid $100 to God, would you pay it? Well, he said, if, if, certainly, if, if you could assure me that that's what God says, certainly, $100, and I would never be in hell, I would gladly make that bargain. How about free? How about the fact that God is offering you heaven as a gift? You see, God's the giver. Cost was assumed by God in total. God assumed the entire cost of this gift. He sacrificed his son. In the parable the Lord Jesus told, he described a vineyard and a man, the owner, sending messengers to collect the revenue from the workers, and they were beating the servants and chasing them away and would not send the money to the owner. So the owner says he had one son, his well-beloved. I will send my son. They will reverence him. And in the parable, the Lord Jesus is telling about himself. And he tells the audience, the man sends his only begotten son. He sends his well-beloved son. And the workers who had chased away the servants, they say, this is the son. He's the heir. Not just the servant. He's the son. If we kill him, then the vineyard's ours. Let's get rid of him. And the Lord Jesus was foretelling what would happen at Calvary. God had sent him into the world. And the Lord Jesus had come with this purpose in mind, to suffer for your sins so that you would not have to suffer for them in hell forever. And he was willing to do that. Now that brings me to a very important part, the suitability of a gift. Somebody can pick out something that they like very much, but it just doesn't suit you. Maybe literally it doesn't fit, or, or the color, it just is not suitable. So I want to tell you how suitable salvation is for you. How well it will wear how well it will fit you if you took this gift you know psychologists tell us that when it comes to meeting our deep psychological needs that there are three things required for well-being i put them in my own words because it'll be easier for me to remember it has to do with a person and a purpose and a prospect that for a person to be mentally and emotionally okay. It requires, first of all, someone to love and be loved by, a person. It requires a purpose, something to do, a cause that makes life significant. It requires a prospect, something to look forward to, so it's not just all here and now. So when it comes to this gift, let me tell you, loneliness is deadly. God has so arranged human life that family, friends, relationships are essential, but the greatest relationship of all, the relationship that, that calibrates life and puts it on its right footing, so much so that the Lord Jesus says, that's when a person begins to live. That relationship is a relationship with the living God. It's called having eternal life, being born again. Apart from that personal relationship with God, life seems empty. A purpose. Something that makes life meaningful. 
have a sense that my life counts for something. See, apart from that, and there's a whole book in our Bible to tell us this, apart from that link with this noblest of all causes, life seems to have little meaning or goal beyond our lifetime. Notice the appalling rate of teenage suicides. Notice the hopelessness spawned by the teaching of Darwinian evolution and the the dark blanket of nihilism settling over the minds of people where they feel that life has no meaning. No, it's a riddle that nobody will ever figure out. And who knows why we're here? and, And what's the meaning of it all? What's the purpose of it all? There's a book in our Bible. It is called the Book of Ecclesiastes. If it had been written by a beggar, then you could perhaps toss it aside and think, that's just his experience. But the book of Ecclesiastes was written by a billionaire, if you translated it into our currency today. It was written by a king. It was written by a vastly intelligent, more intelligent man than you and I will ever be. His name was Solomon. He had power, he had wealth, he had position. And he lamented how empty life was. It's all empty, he said. It's vanity, vanity. I hate life, he said. It's chasing the wind. There's no point to it. Somebody has said that Ecclesiastes is like you're reading a book in a room without windows, a room without windows, that Solomon can't see outside of his his little dark prison called life, and he can't see ahead, and he can't see any purpose to life, and he's lamenting it all, even though he has all those things that are supposed to make life worthwhile. And of course, that room without windows brings me to the third point. Solomon couldn't see beyond the grave. And it was so depressing to him to think that with all his wisdom, he couldn't foresee the day he was going to die. And when he died, he wasn't going to take any of his money with him, however fabulously wealthy he was. And whether he was the king on the throne or that beggar outside the palace window, he was going to die just like that man. And there was nothing he could do about it. So, of course, I can tell you that salvation gives somebody a tremendously bright, glorious future. Eternal life gives the believer the assurance of a home in heaven and a glorious future instead of a shallow grave and the darkness of death. The person who has eternal life knows he's going to live with God forever. Could I ask you tonight to just give five minutes thought to your future? That's all. Just five minutes to think about what's going to happen to you in eternity. What's going to happen to you when you die? You think, well, you know, when I, when I go, I'm worried about, I'm worried about my wife. I'm worried about my husband. I'm worried about the kids. I'm, uh, I'm worried about their future. Just five minutes out of your busy life. Just five minutes for you to sit down and think tonight. Now, what's going to happen to me when I die? Where am I going to be? Because if you came to trust this savior tonight, There'd be somebody who would be by your side, the greatest person in the universe. Somebody to love, somebody who loves you and would be right by your side. A purpose, something to do. Every Christian is linked with an eternal kingdom. An eternal kingdom. Serving an eternal king. A prospect to live forever in the exhilarating atmosphere of the presence of God. Now that brings me to this point that when it comes to a gift, that God's the giver. He paid it. It's going to suit you perfectly. But it just brings us to this point right now. That for a gift to be of any effect, there has to be a recipient. The person has to receive the gift. Somebody could go out tonight and buy you a very expensive gift, but if they offer it to you and you never take it, then all of their kindness does you no good. 
The Bible presents to us the fact that every individual person must trust Christ, but that each one who does that receives this gift. And so we are reminded in John chapter 1 and verse 12 that as many as receive Christ, they become the children of God. That is the indispensable moment when a human being receives Christ and by doing that receives everlasting life. It's right there for you to take the gift of God, which is eternal life. It can be presently possessed. So you don't need to contribute to it. You don't need to think you're outside of it. You don't need to imagine that you'll have to wait some time or maybe till you die. The Bible says he that believes on the Son has, has everlasting life. You could have it tonight. You could go home with it tonight. Well, have you received the unspeakable gift of God, or is it still left unwrapped in some dusty corner of your life? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Are you enjoying eternal life at this very moment, a spiritual life that can never be lost, that no one or nothing can take away? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday night, as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message, would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gospel hall nearest you. Also, feel free to take a look at other literature and audio offers at anchorpointradio.com, where you can also subscribe to our Anchor Point podcast. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a Savior, and in times like these, you need an anchor.